Um, like I said, I got a lot to talk about. So we sort of stopped in the middle of a two-part message because I was planning on doing this message when we were supposed to meet before Thanksgiving and then I had to cancel on you guys. I'm sorry about that. And then I was planning on these next three weeks being Christmas focused. So we had to shuffle a little bit. We're going to finish the, the part that we're in now. And then the next two weeks are going to be focusing on Advent, right? So the, the next two weeks will be, uh, I'm going to call it the two Advents. And we're going to be focusing on the first coming of Christ, Christmas, what we celebrate, and the second coming of Christ that is talked about in 1 Thessalonians 5. So it actually lines up really well. We'll be able to get through 1 Thessalonians 5 and see how it relates, uh, expecting Christ's return and also focusing on when, when Christ came in the first place. So um, that's like the next two weeks, and then it's Christmas, and then it's CrossCon. So we're almost done with, with 1 Thessalonians. Like we're hitting the home stretch right now. And where we've been is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, you want to open up there. We're in chapter 4. And like I said, we're, we're in the middle of a major series, right? 1 Thessalonians series is uh, living a life defined by the gospel modeling the Thessalonians as they have lived their lives based on the gospel. But even more than just the major series, we're actually in the, a part of a, a two-part message. Last time we were able to get together, we started a message that I was calling More and More. And the reason I called it that was because that's the language Paul uses in this little section of chapter 4. He's been praising the Thessalonians for a lot of the stuff that they've been doing, how they've loved people, how they've preached the gospel to them, how they've lived with others, how they've been an example for others. He's encouraged them in a lot of different ways, and now he's hitting his, his wrap-up. He's got like just a few final things to say to them, and so he starts really hitting the, the important parts and saying, everything that you've been doing, do it more and more. That's the encouragement that they had. And last time we got together, we covered two points. The first one we covered was uh, based on 1 Thessalonians 4, um, 1 through 9. The first one we covered was please God more and more. And this was meant to be like a motivational point for us. Like as we read that, it should be an encouragement to see that there are things that are pleasing to God. There are things that he calls us to do that that do please him and it would be an encouragement that you are able to do that you can do that you should do that and maybe it was even a conviction because you think i haven't been doing that and that first point was meant to just open our eyes to some of the things maybe we could be doing more and then the second point we spent most of the time on oh so favorite night for you guys i know based on our small group discussions everything we got to talk a whole bunch about sexual immorality. We got to spend a nice little chunk on it, and that point was called Be Sanctified More and More. But that was just a nice, pleasing way to say don't be sexually immoral, right? That was, that was our whole topic on that night, was thinking about those things and, and how um, the biggest thing we ended on was that somebody that disregards that whole part of the Christian life, like if you disregard your holiness, if you disregard um, being sexually moral, then God says in his word that you disregard him. If you disregard those things, you disregard him. And that was a heavy-hitting message. Right? Like that's, 
that's the stuff that you just have to speak it as it is. You have to speak the truth. And I leave it up to you guys on how you interact with it. Um, I know for some of you, you were encouraged. I know for some of you, you were convicted. And I know for most of us, it was a little bit of both, right? And uh, I pray that you're still thinking through that, that you're thinking through the conversations you can have based on that, um, and how it really is an important part of our Christian life. And I'm not going to get into all of it again, because we've got more to talk about. But So that was the heavy-hitting point of last time. And now we're moving into... Uh, the final points of more and more. And I'm sort of categorizing them these two ways. It's going to be a point focused on the insiders and a point focused on the outsiders. And I'll get to that in just a minute. Um, you guys ever have like a day that you just feel like you can't do anything right at all? That's no, just me. Yeah. That's that day for me, like today. Like, so I, I typed up this message like a couple weeks ago. And I was like, it's good. You know, I looked at it this week. It's like, yeah, it's good, good. I'm, I'm happy with this. I looked at it yesterday. And I was like, all right, I'm, I'm good. Like, I'm ready for this. I looked at it this morning. I was like, this message sucks. This is going to be the worst. Um, so I scrapped my message this morning uh, because I was like, this just doesn't feel right. This doesn't feel like what needs to be said. This doesn't feel like I was being true to the text. So I was like, I'll rewrite it. So then I was like, okay, I'll do this. And then I started doing an outline. I was like, okay, I'll, 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 this is what I'll do. And I was like, no, that's not good either. And I was like, all right, well, I'll just open up the scripture and I'll take notes and we'll just guide. Th- nope, that's not going to work either. And I felt like I just could not settle with this passage. And sometimes that happens. Sometimes it's hard to settle with the scriptures that we have, either because it's like, well, it's, it seems obvious. So what, what am I supposed to take? Or other times like this seems really, really hard. And I, I don't know how to read this. And I don't know what it was for me today, but all that to say is I have a whole bunch of papers here that are like different scrap notes of different things, and uh, I'm just trusting in the Lord that he's going to work through his word, so be forgiving of me as uh, I'm growing along with you guys, still figuring out the best way for me to communicate God's word to you, um, and I, I figure if we both learn together, we both grow together, right? So uh, let's grow together as we dive into this, and this first part of the passage that we're hitting, um, I want to start with a foundation. And the foundation I want to start with is, I think we, as a people, particularly as English speakers, but I think we as a people have a weak understanding of love. I think we have a very watered-down understanding of what it means to love and the word itself. And the reason I bring that up is because this passage talks about love. And we've talked about love already. We've talked about how to love others and how we should love others and how we should burden ourselves for others. But I think now it's time to come to a really good understanding of what Paul means when he writes the word love. And what I mean is that we sort of use it for everything, right? And maybe you've heard this before, but um, in one day, one, one conversation, I can say that I love tacos and that I love my wife, Brittany, and I love my sister, Maddie, and I I would pray and hope that those loves are all different types of love, right? Like, I would hope that I don't love Brittany the same way that I love tacos, and that I don't love tacos the same way that I love one of my family members. They have different meanings to them and, and different nuances, but we just throw the same word out, and we assume by context we might get the definition. But we also throw love around in ways that we don't actually mean it either. 
Like to say you love tacos means like you really like them, you favor them, they satisfy you, maybe you're addicted to them, right? There's lots of things that we use for the word love, but oftentimes the, the definition gets misconstrued. And when we start reading scripture and we come to it with this context of, of love can sort of mean a lot of different things, we lose some of the value of what Paul tells us. In Greek, there's actually four words that mean love. Four specific words that we in English, we just translate all to the word love. Sort of like if you were here this past week and Pastor Rob was talking about like the four words in Scripture that all get translated as Lord and how they all mean different things, but we just throw the word Lord in there. It's, it's the same idea. Like there's four different words that mean love and, and we just sort of translate it all into one and, and hope the context gives us the answer. But um, so I, want, I wanted to go over them with you. I wanted to give you a better understanding of them. I'm going to read them. Um, you certainly don't have to uh, re- remember them. Like you don't know how to know how to spell them. Uh, I actually looked it up. The, the Wikipedia page on this is actually pretty accurate. So you can look up the Wikipedia page if you just want to quick be able to know how to spell them and stuff like that. Um, but I'm going to go over them because it's going to define how we read this next passage. So four words. The first one is called storge. And storge is, it's like a fondness. Particularly, it's like a, a familiarity. Like when you love something because it's familiar to you. Actually, it's most commonly used for relationships. How many of you have someone in your family that you don't like, but you love them? Right? Someone that you may not get along with. Someone you may not agree with. But for some reason, you just love them. And you, you don't want to sometimes. And you don't understand. But you do. That's storge love. It's a, it's a familiarity. It's, you love them because they're there, because they're part of you, because they were with you, because they are part of you. It's the same thing. It's like a, it's a mother and child. Like that type of love is the exact same because they're, they're yours. Something we can't fully describe, but it's our best example of like natural love, affection. It's described as the most natural and emotive love, right? So that's, that's storge. The next one is, is philia. Philios. That's where like the city name Philadelphia comes from. Philadelphia is called the, the city of brotherly love because it's taken from the Greek philia, which means like brotherly love, friendship love. That's what we're going to be talking about today. But this one is so unique because out of all of the, the loves, it's the one that we choose. It's that brotherly friendship love that comes on your own accord. You choose to keep it. You choose to have it. You choose to grow it. You choose to invest in it. At first, it doesn't have to be an emotional attachment. I mean, how many of you have friends do any of you have friends that you hated at first, by chance? I mean, I have, I have one. Like, we just did not get along at first. But um, it, that's, that's a really great explanation of the type of love that it is, right? You don't, it doesn't mean you have, like, this sudden click with somebody. But it is possible to foster a brotherly love between you and somebody else over time and commitment. 
And, and more importantly, usually it's representative of a love of two people that have something in common. And the way that we're going to see it in Scripture is it's love for those that love Christ. For your fellow brother and sister in Christ. That's brotherly love. Love for them because they love Christ. And then we get eros or eros, depending on how you decide to pronounce it. That's the romantic love. That's the encapturing love that talks about relationships and sex and, and it's the, uh, the innate love is what the Greek calls it, right? It, it happens. It's attraction. It is uh, the actual romantic relationship. Like, that's that type of love. It's probably one we see most common in culture or at least talked about, right? And the last one is agape. A lot of you might recognize agape, whether it's been a church name or you've seen it on a tattoo or, or things like that. Like agape is unconditional love. And not just unconditional love. It is the love that comes from God. It is the love that God shows. It is the perfect love. It's the love that we're called to strive for at all times and yet very rarely actually meet. Because it is a perfect love. It is love without condition. No matter the circumstance, no matter the situation, you continue to love. Like God loved us through Christ. No matter where we were, no matter what we did, while we were still sinners, Christ showed us his love for us that he died for us. That's agape. So now you see, like, when we're talking about uh, different loves, why it seems sort of weird to just throw one into the English language, right? Like, our one word can mean any of those or all of those at the same time. And that it doesn't help you fully appreciate what we say. But when you can acknowledge, like, I love you, and you're able to say, I love you because you love Christ and because we have something that bonds us together, it's got a lot more to it, right? So I know that was a bit of a, a class lesson. A lot of you are out of class right now, so you're welcome. I got you back in school for a minute, being able to learn a little more Greek. Um, but, but I wanted to go over that because now we get to read um, our next point. And the next point should be pretty obvious at this point. It's love one another more and more. First was please God, second was be sanctified, and the third is love one another more and more. That's what he tells the Thessalonians here. So, all right, now we're diving into the scripture. Now we get to see it. First Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in, in verse 9, Paul says, Now, concerning brotherly love, that, that's the phileo, the, the philos. Now, concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. So Paul is saying, like, you're so good at it. Like, I don't have a need to do this. I'm going to talk about it, right? Apostle Paul likes to say a lot of things. He has a lot of words for people. He doesn't have to talk about it. He wants to, but he doesn't feel compelled because what they are doing already is so great that they are the example. No need for anyone to write to you. And then he says, why? For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. So what does it mean taught by God? 
What I don't think it means is that they sat down and had a classroom in which Jesus came in and wrote on a whiteboard and taught them how to love one another. I don't think it is that they sat in a circle and let a prophet of God stand in the center and begin just speaking to them and someone was writing it on a stone tablet or recording it in some kind of scroll. When it says they were taught by God, it means that the love that they had for one another was so different, it was so strong, it was so unlike the world, that the only explanation is that it came from God. And Paul says, for that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. His point for that indeed is to say, like, you've been taught by God because clearly you're doing it. And that's how I know it's coming from God because of everything that you are doing. And not just their friends, right? Who, who does it say that they are showing love to? All of the brothers and sisters is that word. All of the brothers throughout Macedonia. Macedonia wasn't their city. Macedonia wasn't their city-state. Macedonia was essentially their kingdom. It was their country. Their love for one another and their love for all of those that loved Christ was so strong that it rang throughout their country. A country that didn't have social media back then. A country that couldn't just instantly post from one place to another across miles. No, it carried by word of mouth, by representation, by letters, by example. Like their love for one another was strong, it was pure. And it was the example Paul said, just keep that right there, keep on doing it. Keep on doing this right now. So that's the example we need to follow. But how? How do you follow an example like that? See, when it comes to the four loves, like we say we love one another, right? And like in church, like we say, like, I love my brothers and sisters in Christ, or at least that's the atmosphere we tried to put on. Even like when we're sort of talking here in the lobby, like we, we sincerely care about each other in a lot of ways, but there's also people that we don't even think about throughout the week, yet we act like we do when we see them all of a sudden, right? And not just here, I'm talking like at church and maybe in small groups and and wherever you might interact with other believers, like far too often, that is our standard of love. The standard of love that we just happen to know each other, and honestly, we happen to be familiar with each other, right? Like there are people I see at church that I love because it feels good to be with them, and it feels good to be at church, and it's familiar, and it makes me feel like I'm at church, and it makes me feel like I'm part of this thing, but I don't actually love them. I love the familiarity of them. I don't think about them any other time except for when I'm thinking about what it's going to be like to be at church, or to be with the church, or to be at an event and see them. I don't actually concern myself with them. 
And we've learned time and time again from the Thessalonians that love goes far beyond just the interactions we have and goes beyond and goes to burdening ourselves for them and thanking of them and loving them through things. So what that means for us is we just need to accept and acknowledge that we are not living up to the standard of loving one another in a way that would cause others to look at it and say, that is God. Because I'll tell you, I'm, I'm the first to love you just as well as I love any other friend I might have that doesn't know Christ. In fact, I have friends that don't know Christ that I love more than I love some of the people that go to our church. I treat them more with this brotherly love we're supposed to have than I do the people that have the same Savior as me and belong to the same Father as me. And I need to change that. I need to actually have a concern for those people. It's only in that relationship with them that someone can look upon it and say, that's God. God taught that. The world can't have that. God has that. So how do you do it? What's the, what's the practical step? You know, I, I want to give you practical to be able to do these things. And the number one, I say it every time, you always start with prayer. Pray. If you don't know how, seek. Ask. Lord, I want this. I don't know how to have it. Lord, I know it glorifies you if I have this. I know this is what you call me to. So here I am, your son, your daughter, wanting this, wanting what you want for me, Lord. If you will it, teach me how to love the church in a brand new way. Start there, and I'd say just, just move your feet. Practice it. Scripture teaches us to lead our heart, not to follow it. Put your heart in a place that it's going to do that. Put yourself in conversations where you will care. Keep yourself accountable to those things. I mean, I have, uh, maybe this is breaking the glass for some of you, but some of you that I text every week or most weeks, I have reminders to text you. I'm forgetful. I'm not very good at it. But I love you enough to put a reminder in my phone at least. And I love you enough to, to hear the response. And at least that's a start. And I feel convicted that I don't think about you more. But this is a start. And it's a good path to take. And it glorifies the Lord. So that's the first one. Love others more and more. And, and don't forget the more and more part, right? It's also to encourage you that if you are doing it, and as you're doing it, keep on. Press on and do it. Do it for the Lord's glory. And don't, don't grow weary in doing good. All right, so that's what he says. He says, but we urge you to do this more and more. That's how verse 10 ends. And then he's got this, this flip point, right? He uses the words more and more as the connection point between these two thoughts. And the first one was the insiders, right? Love the insiders. Here's how you should think about the insiders. Those that know Christ, those that are the church. Like, do this more and more. Oh, and also these things are going to be more and more. That's what we see. So look at those words more and more like the connection point to the next verse. Where in verse 11, it says more and more and to aspire to, I'm going to throw these out, live quietly to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders. 
and be dependent on no one. So our second point is live peaceably. I know it's a weird word, right? We don't often spell peaceably, but live peaceably more and more. A few weeks ago, I, was, uh, I thought, man, this is going to be a great one to talk about because uh, you know, our governor had just come out with more mask mandates. And like any time our governor comes out with stuff like that and our church has to make a tough decision, there's nobody that's happy. Right? Like you can't please everybody, and especially if you're in a position of leadership. And if you've ever led anything, you know that. You know that every decision you make is going to have people that are offended. It's going to have people that are upset. And I think we have been able to see this year in 2020 what it's like when people get upset over a decision. What it's like when people get to a point in which they don't know how to respond or react. I'm sure you all have had many conversations on your opinion on masks. Many conversations on your opinions of social distancing and churches closing and fill in the blank. And you all have had to make some really tough decisions on it too. I mean, you made a decision tonight when you came. All right, I'm going to go to this group. I'm not going to be social distancing completely. I may or may not wear a mask. And at some point, you had to think through what the repercussions of that might be. I had to quarantine a few weeks ago. Guess what the repercussions of that were? We had to cancel crew. I knew the risks of being at church. I knew the risks of going to my job. I knew the risks of potentially being exposed to people. But it doesn't mean it didn't have consequences that didn't upset people, right? So I thought this was going to be a really good thing to talk about at that point. But clearly the Lord had a different plan. And he thought, well, we'll talk about it this week as we're heading into December and Christmas. And, you know, we're like a month away from having the uh, new president and all of the things that are going to continue to go on in our country. And I think this applies even more. So let's look at it. If we're living peacefully more and more. He throws like three things out there, like just boom, boom, boom. And the first one is to aspire to live quietly. Now, it's easy to misunderstand this one. It's easy to think like, okay, I'm supposed to live quietly, which means I'm not supposed to speak up. That's the wrong way to look at it. Because we are told to speak up. We are commanded to speak up. We are commanded to go, therefore, and make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? We're told to teach others what we have been taught. That's not being quiet. You can't be quiet and also go and make disciples. So clearly, that's not what that means. So what does it mean to live quietly? It means that you live in a way in which people's first thought of you isn't the fact that they have to put up with you. Isn't the fact that they have to hear your mouth open every day. It means to live in a way in which you are not displeasing to those around you simply because you're loud and because you can't maintain some kind of control over your mouth. You can't maintain some kind of control over your thoughts and your opinions. Peaceably, here is the same word uh, for like quarrelsome. Like if you read like the standards for elders and and, and deacons and things like that in scripture, it says that like they look like these mature believers are supposed to be those that aren't 
quarrelsome, those that don't constantly bicker and fight and cause division. That's what it means to live peacefully, is to not do those things. So live quietly means preach the gospel, live the gospel, make disciples, but do it in a way that's not constantly demeaning and bashing to the people around you and making them feel insignificant and making them feel like you're constantly picking arguments with them because you'd rather win over their mind than ever win over their heart. That's what it means to live peacefully. Well, and here, live quietly. Aspire to live like that. It doesn't say to live without boldness. It says to just live quietly. And, and the second one is to mind your own affairs. So, like, when I first read this, I have, like, the old thoughts of, like, you guys know what I'm talking about? Like, the neighborhood gossip or, like, the town gossip, you know, where, like, the person that goes around all over the place and, like, spreads all the rumors and you know, says things like you find out things you should definitely not have found out just because they had a conversation with you. Like that's my first thought. But as I started thinking on this deeper, I started thinking of the fact that uh, we now live in a world that encourages, encourages us not to mind our own affairs. Like we live in a world where our phones are built around the fact that we can literally not mind our own affairs anytime we want. We can get into anybody's life. We can look at it at any point and we can be more concerned with what they're doing and what they're presenting than we ever are with our own lives. We can spend more of our life comparing ourselves to others and trying to be like others rather than trying to impact others. And that, like, that's, that's like when you wake up in the morning. How many of you, when you wake up in the morning, open your phone to Facebook or Snapchat or Instagram within the first 15 minutes of you being awake? And maybe you won't be willing to raise your hands, but I know I'm not alone, guys. I know many of you, that's the first thing you do. You wake up, and before your feet ever hit the ground, you are in other people's affairs. Not that it's bad to know what's going on in other people's lives. Not that it's bad to be connected with them, but the heart behind it is everything. And to wake up and constantly be concerned with what's going on in somebody else's life to the detriment of what the Lord has for your life is wrong. Don't worry about the outsiders in that way. Yes, be concerned for them. Love them. Know them. Know what's going on. If you're hearing that clicking, that's like a, a refrigerator here that's like exploding pretty much. I don't know. They got it pulled out. So I'm going to call attention to it now. That's a refrigerator you're hearing that bump sound. So, um, but anyway, thinking through your interact. Why are you getting on Facebook? Why are you getting on Instagram? Why are you getting on Snapchat? Is it so you can just live somebody else's life so you, that you can compare yourself to them constantly and strive to be more like them or what you think the perfect image is rather than just a sincere concern to know what's going on in their life so that you can be with them and know them and live the gospel out for them? Mind your own affairs to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk Properly. Now, the work with your hands is like, okay, what does that mean? Well, we've talked about this a little bit, actually. Paul uses this example early in 1 Thessalonians when he talks about not being a burden to others. And this is the same theme that we see here. And he even says, so that you would be dependent on no one. At the very end of verse 12 there, you would be dependent on no one. Paul has this constant thought. Don't be a burden to others. 
And that goes in line with the rest of what he just said, right? He's like, live peaceably. Like, don't be an annoying to other people. Don't be a drag to other people. He's saying work with your own hands so you don't have to be dependent upon other people. Like, be a loving source of encouragement for people. Be something that lifts them up and doesn't bring them down. Yes, be the, be the post of truth in their life. But don't be the one that's constantly bringing them down. Paul is all about taking on the burdens for yourself and becoming a burden for others, not on others. So that's, that's the work with your hands as we instructed you. And I, I just want to, to take this last point. Verse 12. So that. Anytime you, say, you see so that, so that, it's the because, right? Because I want you to walk properly before outsiders. It's a whole purpose. If you're going to take away anything out of that second part, take away, am I walking properly before outsiders? Right? Am I loving insiders in a way that's godly? And am I walking properly before outsiders that's going to bring them to know Christ? So that's more and more. And those are some of the last statements we're going to get from Paul on these things. Right? He's wrapping up. He's driving this home. He's hitting the final concerns with them. And now he starts turning his eyes to the return of Jesus. He starts turning his eyes to what he knows will give them hope, what he knows will encourage him to keep on going on, what he knows will encourage him to do everything more and more. And what I just preached here tonight, you could so easily walk away and change all the actions you want. You could so easily just walk away right now and have a nice little checklist of things you're not supposed to do. But without the heart change, it doesn't matter. Without the heart change, it doesn't matter. And do these things for God more and more.